we acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Welcome to This Song Is Yours. We're a music podcast that chats to artists, musicians and creatives on their songwriting craft and upcoming projects. I'm your host, Simon Fink, and welcome to episode 290. In words I can't believe I'm actually uttering, our guest today is Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. The acclaimed indie folk band are on their way back to Australia to play their own tour dates in October, plus an appearance at Adelaide's Harvest Rock Festival. Before we get into our conversation with one of my own personal heroes, please make sure you subscribe to the pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever app that you use, and follow us across all of our socials. Details for all can be found within the show notes of today's episode. Our guest today is Bright Eyes. The acclaimed US indie rock project began all the way back in 1995, founded by guitarist and vocalist Connor Oberst. Starting out as a solo project and then later adding on close friends Mike Mogus and Nate Walcott, the band found success within the indie scene with their first few records like Fevers and Mirrors and Lifted. Their success took another step forward in 2005 when they released two studio records at the same time, titled I'm Wide Awake It's Morning and Digital Ash in a Digital Urn, respectively. It saw the band occupy the top two tracks on the Billboard Hottest 100, a feat that hadn't been done in a decade at that time. They've continued to release brilliant music since then, with their most recent record being 2020's Down in the Weeds Where the World Once Was. In October, the band are travelling back to Australia for their first tour in over 11 years, where they'll be playing shows all over the country, including an appearance at Adelaide's Harvest Rock Festival. In today's episode, we're speaking with frontman Connor Oberst about their memories of touring Australia previously and dancing on stage with the Flaming Lips. We discuss Connor's love of words and why they fascinate him so much. We talk about how records can achieve cult status over time, and we also try to find out whether we can expect any new Bright Eyes music soon. Tour dates and where to buy tickets to Bright Eyes Australian Tour can be found within today's show notes. And we want to say a massive thank you to Ali from House of Web and Max from Secretly Group for their help with this episode. Here is our conversation with Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. Look up at the Please welcome to This Song Is Yours, Connor Oberst from Bright Eyes. Connor, hello. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's um, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Well, yeah, pleasure's all mine. <laughs> um, we're very excited down here in Australia um, because as of next month, yourself uh, and the guys from Bright Eyes are coming down for a visit, you're playing Harvest Rock Festival and and a smattering of um, your own side shows. Uh, firstly, I guess, are you looking forward to coming back to Australia? I know it's been a while between drinks. I think about ten or eleven years. Yeah, it's been a long. It's been a while. I was trying to remember. I know that um, as as far as my own shows, I came and played. Um, 
for one of my solo albums, Ruminations, in like 2000, I want to say 16 or something, 17. We played the uh, Opera House, and that was really cool. That was only time I played there, so that was exciting. And then I I went I was there one other time with you know my my solo stuff, but with the my friends, the Fleece Brothers, were my backing band, and we played. Um, I think we actually played a couple different zoos, like the Sydney Zoo and the. No, I remember there was a lot of zoos involved, um, and uh, some other shows. But as far as Bright Eyes proper, yeah, it would have been since our last record before the most recent one, which was in 2020, and obviously got sidetracked by the pandemic. But uh, the record before that, the People's Key, was like. 2011 so yeah it's been a minute for sure <laughs> well i know that there's a lot of excitement um around these shows uh i think previously and it's a very different harvest festival we we seem to have two different festivals both named harvest the the festival you're at previously in support of the people's key um had yourself playing with i think bands like the national and the flaming lips um do you remember m- I guess much of that tour, there many key memories from that previous Australian tour. It was it was so fun. I I remember a lot of it. Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, TV on the radio, uh, the National, Flaming Lips. Um, uh, I think Portishead. Uh, I don't <laughs> know. It was a great. It was a great lineup, and I have known you know some of those people. Um, from different from different ways over the years like obviously like national tv on the radio in new york um and uh we've played with well i guess we've played with all those bands at different times but um yeah it was so it was so much fun it was like um you know kind of traveling summer camp band camp and uh yeah get us got to see them play a lot i got to get into one of the the big inflatable flaming lips suits and like walk around on stage and you know so yeah it was it was it was perfect that's awesome <laughs> i love to hear that um as you mentioned there has been another record in between since when we saw you last um down in the weeds where the world once was came out in 2020 firstly it's a little bit belated um but congratulations on that record because that is a fantastic <laughs> album Thank you. Yeah, it was, you know, I mean, obviously it's like no, no reason, uh, for me to cry in my coffee at all. Like I, uh, I got, um, you know, so many people obviously like lost people they loved and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it was just one of those like sort of timing cosmic. I don't know if it's karma. I think we got pretty good karma, but anyway, yeah, it's just like we worked a long time, couple years, like making that record and had all these plans, huge, you know, world tour. And, uh, we were actually getting ready in March of 2020. We were about to fly to Japan to start the first shows like in connection with that record. The record came out in August, but we were, I don't know, kind of had this like two year plan of touring. And then, you know, as everyone knows, pandemic hit and everything kind of got washed away so it it did feel a little deflating you know like like it's almost like the record 
like didn't come out or something. I don't know. It just didn't. Every, mm-hmm. Everything was so, you know, weird and upside down um, for tons of reasons. But uh, and then I guess the next year, the next summer, 2021, we were able to play some shows with like a lot of COVID restrictions. But we had the we had a big band to kind of represent the record. And then uh, the next the the last, you know, whatever it's been like year and a half, we've kind of continued to uh, to just play more shows. So it was we got there, you know, but this <laughs> is I'm coming to see uh, you all down there uh, has been on our to do list for a long time now. So it'll be good to, to get back there. Well, and as I mentioned, we are very excited. Um, myself personally, we'll see you at one or two of the shows. So very looking forward to seeing it. Um, but I'm glad to hear that the last year or so in support of the record has been good. I think, who was it? We had, um, the lovely Christian Lee Hudson on this podcast last year. And I think yeah. he was backstage at one of the gigs, um, as we spoke to him before going on to support. And he said that the tour oh, was man. going well. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Christian's my, my, my buddy. So that's awesome. Yeah. He did, he did some shows with us, um, last, yeah, last year. And he's, he's amazing. He's incredible, incredible songwriter, just like yourself. I wanted to, um, kind of touch on, uh, I guess some of the songwriting from this previous record and I guess your history with songwriting, if that's okay, as we are a a songwriting podcast, um, this most recent record, absolutely incredible it came after i think a nine year i want to say it wasn't a break within the band i think just nine years between records um and bright eyes was always a band that i personally thought were very very good at distilling and um for lack of a better word describing the reality of certain things within our own reality and i feel that it in the years since, I guess, between people's key and down in the weeds, there was a lot to write about in terms of how the world was changing and going. Was that something that I guess originally inspired you guys at that Christmas party to to get the band back into the studio and write these songs? Yeah. I mean, I think that it, like, it just felt right. Um, you're right in the sense of, it was, I think it was like slightly miscommunicated like in the press that we had like broken up. But the truth of it is, is that like we, it's always been, um, you know, it's always been this kind of studio project with, you know, Mike Muggis, Nate Walcott and myself. And we stayed close friends. I mean, Michael lives literally right behind me up that hill. Um, (laughs) and that's where our studio is. So, and uh Nate Walcott had worked on different solo records with me so it's not like we ever lost touch or anything but it just uh it just felt like the right time to to do it again because um you know a lot of people think it's sort of like splitting hairs between like what makes a Connor Overs record versus a Bright Eyes record versus like other projects you know that I'm involved with or all of us are individually involved with but it really is like a special thing when the three of us uh come together and decide to make a record it like 
it takes way longer than like when I make a when I make a solo record. It's mm-hmm. it's you know I can I can do it I can do it like in a week if I want or I can do it in, in whatever. It's like it's uh it's a I don't want to say there's more freedom because we I feel like we're pretty free thinking like in the bright eyes camp, but just with those two guys are such like kind of neurotic perfectionists and they're we try to treat the band as three equal parts. And so just because of that dynamic, it takes us, you know, two years to make a record. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of a big uh, commitment, if you will, when we, when we do it. So um, it was really nice to return to that. And um, yeah, like I said, they, I consider both of those, gentlemen to be you know i guess i'm biased because they're in my band but i do think they're both <laughs> like musical geniuses and uh it's i'm very lucky to have them you know help me present my my songs so yeah 100 percent um i know that uh recently bright eyes has been um putting out remasters of the studio records with these beautiful companion eps as well what has that process been like? Because I think you've now recorded possibly up to, is it like 51 or 52 revert, re, like different versions of a track? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm bad with math, but I can tell you that <laughs> they, re, they reissued nine albums. And so for each record, we did a six song EP that has five songs that are sort of reimagining re-recordings of the songs from that what that you know the record that it's uh the companion to and then plus like one more song that's like a cover that meant something to us around the time that we were making those records so there's six songs each so here's the big question what's six times nine <laughs> i don't know That's yeah. it. is it 54 is it 54 is that the answer we're gonna we have to call like a mathematician to get to the bottom of this. But. I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're definitely anyway, in the fifties. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a big, it's a lot of songs. You know, <laughs> um, no, it was fun. It was you know, it was a, like it was a lot of work, but it um, was also you know, I feel like some of those songs are literally you know twenty five years old or whatever. So mm. to get to get a chance to kind of redo or have like a you know a second opportunity to um record them again with everything that's happened to all of us in our lives and musically and otherwise you know we're coming at it from a pretty different headspace than when we made the uh original recordings and you know there's there's some of the songs that i i feel like I kind of cringe when I listen to the like original recordings, but I still, I think that they're good songs, but it's just like just the sound of my voice or just decisions, production decisions we made and shit that I wouldn't do today. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was, it was nice to just, yeah, just, you know, got to believe in second chances, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Well, a hundred percent on on the other, I guess, end of the spectrum of that, was there a song that you were surprised has aged in a, in a better way that you kind of went back and was like, fuck yeah. Like we did pretty well with that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, for me, I mean, there was different, like, kind of highlights or nice moments along the way through all the different records. But I think definitely uh, starting the most stark difference, which makes a lot of sense, I guess, is the earlier records are the most kind of starkly different than than the later records because obviously it's we a lot of the or like the first collection of songs one it's like those the original recordings are like borderline like unlistenable you know it's just like insane <laughs> four track recordings um and so just us just playing them normal like made them sound way different but i mean that was one of our goals was just to make sure that they all kind of took on some kind of new life or had new ideas behind them. So I would say, I would say that one, the first one. And then we did one, um, called noise floor, which isn't like a, I guess a, technically a proper studio album, but it was, it was one that the label wanted to release as well, like reissue the original. And so that's like a collection of like B sides from all different compilations and seven inches and things. And so like some of those songs, like I really barely remember writing or mm-hmm. with the original. <laughs> so I like what, you know, I'd like for these ones, I like would, I went back and I like listened to stuff and pick songs that I thought I could like sing with a straight face, you know? So, um, yeah, that, that it was cool to kind of be like, wow, okay. That recording is kind of rough, but I can still stand behind these, these lyrics and, the melodies and like the, the general idea of it um, holds up. And so that's kind of why we chose the songs we, we chose, you know. 100%. They are um, a fantastic kind of, um, as they are their companion EPs, they are a fantastic companion piece, which we'll put in the links of this podcast for people to purchase. Um, I would love to kind of, if I'm, if I'm allowed to, uh, it is obviously well documented that you were quite young when you started Bright Eyes, that you've been a songwriter since I think the age of 13. I won't go too much into that because it has been well documented in the last 20 years. Um, but I was wondering if you could just touch on, I guess, what originally, or if you remember what originally drew you to songwriting, what that kind of catalyst was that got you interested in songs. Yeah, well, I was I was very lucky. My uh, My father is a musician when I was a kid, he had a band. I mean, they were basically like a cover band that would play weddings and parties and stuff for like extra money, you know? So like, it was like a kind of his like side, like part-time job. He was like the, he was kind of the utility guy. So he played like keyboards and some guitar and sang harmony and played saxophone and like, he was so there was always musical equipment and things around my house, instruments. And then my oldest brother, Maddie, also played in bands. And um, so I think between the two of them, when I was about 10 years old, they started, um, you know, I was interested in it. And so they started showing me just chords, you know, here's an E chord here. You know, I remember E minor was the first one I learned because it's the easiest one to play. Nice, it's only, two, <laughs> only two, no, you know, two fingers, you know? Um, but uh, yeah, my dad had this big, uh, this big Martin, like dreadnought guitar. And I remember like 
I couldn't even get my hand over the guitar to like get to, I could like barely get to the strings because <laughs> it was like so giant and I was like a child. So then the first real guitar that I got was like this little like ovation acoustic guitar that was really thin and small so that I could actually play it. But um, yeah, I think, I mean, they're definitely the two biggest uh, reasons I think that I got into it so young and my dad was coming at it from like kind of classic rock type stuff, you know, like whatever, Neil Young and Jackson Brown and Joni Mitchell and all that type of 70s, whatever mm. folk stuff. And then my brother was like, you know, a product of like 120 minutes and like 80s alternative music. So he, he got me into like, you know, uh, REM and replacements and the cure and Smiths and all that sort of stuff that was, uh, kind of big in the college world, um, in the eighties. And so I would say that those two sort of disparate musical canons was the sort of what made, I think probably still is what sort of makes, makes up, you know, my, I don't know, my, uh, like accounts for the kind of music I make, you know, obviously along the years I've got influenced by different other things, but yeah, I would say that that was like the big starting point. And then also Omaha had like a really kind of cool, it was very small, but it was a cool music community in the sense that you could be like a, you know, you could be playing like quote unquote folk music, you know, guy, acoustic guitars singing, but also be playing on the same bill as you know, the punk bands or like the hardcore bands or whatever. Like there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough like infrastructure or just interest to go around. So it's like, mm -hmm. if you were making any kind of like left of center music of any stripe, you ended up playing shows with like different, like whatever, a funk band and then like a punk band. And then, yeah, like, you know, singer songwriter thing. And so I think that also helped like I guess make me um really open to like eclectic ideas because it didn't there was no like there was no hard lines between those different styles of music. It was more like there was one like DIY place to play called the mm -hmm. Cog Factory and like fit like a hundred people and if, if you got a show there you were like over the moon happy no matter who you were like playing with you know so yeah it's it was a good good way to come up i guess do you think i guess having that exposure to different genres and different bands and not kind of being i guess put into a box at, at such an early stage in that regard also played into your lyric writing because i know that um one of the main i guess highlights for any bright eyes fan is is your lyric writing you're very uh well very well spoken um I would say a big fan of prose as well. I think, what was it? Listening to um, the After the Deluge podcast, which came out earlier this year, I think uh, you were a guest and oh, there, yeah. was dis yeah, there was discussion yeah, yeah. of um, putting certain words into songs, trying to get, I think, what was it, in Shell Game, the um, oscilloscopes. Oscilloscope, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was, you know, I I'd always loved words and I always, I gravitate, 
it's funny. Like I, uh, the latter part of my life, I've really gravitated towards, um, instrumental music. And I don't really know why I think it's because it's just so much of everything I've made is like been so focused on words and I still love words, but I, I, it's like, sometimes I don't like want to hear it. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm like <laughs> there's like, there'll be something going on like musically. that's like great. And then I like hear, I understand what someone's singing and it like, like takes me out of it. Cause I just, I don't know, maybe I'm slightly a snob when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I, I do, um, I do still, you know, to me, that's, I guess what I'm not really, I don't, you know, I'm not a great singer. I'm not really a great guitar player or piano player. I feel like if there's something that I sort of have to offer, it's, more from a songwriting standpoint, like just like the words and the melodies. And most of my songs are pretty simple. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know what I'm saying. I guess I'm, I, I do, I do think about words a lot and I do try to like challenge myself to say things in as, you know, unique, original, way as I can. Um, mm-hmm. And that's not that I, of course, I'm like very influenced by lots of lyricists that I think are amazing, but like, that's, that's something I, I do really try my best to bring something like interesting and new to the table. 100%. I would agree with that. I think that that is what um yourself as a songwriter uh, is very well known for. And whether that be, your, I guess your output has been extremely pro- prolific over the years. We've got um, Bright Eyes, there's music under your own name and Mystic Valley Band. There was Monsters of Folk. There was Better Oblivion Community Centre. Um, and so it seems like you, regardless of what outlet you have, you do seem to find a way to uh, convey what you are feeling and what you're trying to say. Um, it seems like a little bit of a silly question and please feel free to decline <laughs> my question. But <laughs> while we have you with being such a prolific songwriter, I guess, is there the possibility that in the next year or so we might see a new Bright Eyes record, a new Better Oblivion, a new Mystic Valley Band record? Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I'm under any, um, uh, you know, gag order to not, not speak about it. Uh, no, we're actually, um, very soon we're going to start working on, uh, another, uh, Bright Eyes record. We have a lot of it like demoed already and, uh, whatever. It's kind of like inside baseball, like, but anyway, it's, we we're you know, we are, we're under contract to, our label like dead oceans and secretly group for like another bright eyes record. And we're going to start making it, um, sooner than later, because like I said, it takes us a while to, to, to do it. But I, I do have a lot of songs, um, kind of demoed and we're going to, uh, start getting into it. I think we're going to actually do a little bit of recording even before we get 
down to do the shows down there. And then, you know, we'll see how long it takes. But yeah, we'll keep recording into next year. And um, yeah, that's the that's the current current game plan. That is very exciting. Thank you very much for um, indulging us and, and answering that. <laughs> <laughs> Can we expect possibly a, a live debut of one of these new tracks at, at these Australian shows? Um, you know, maybe, <laughs> I don't know. I'm still, I'm still trying to make the, um, I still got to get the list of songs. Actually, thanks for reminding me. I have to get, get into the <laughs> musicians. Um, but yeah, there, there might be, there might be one or two that might be ready to just to throw out there. I'm not, I, I can't make any promises, but it'd be fun um, to, to do it for sure. Even the thought of it will take. I'm I'm glad that we've got even that. So thank you for <laughs> um, sharing that. Um, in terms of what you just said, getting the list to um, the musicians that are coming with you, in terms of building a set list after such an incredibly like long and, and um, varied career, how do you, I guess, pick and choose what you're going to put on a set list after after this many albums? You know, it's, it's funny. We used to, um, like back in the day, we were pretty, um, like we had kind of a system. We were pretty adamant about when we made a record, we, we, we went on tour and we basically mostly just played that record and then like a few other songs. Um, so like, you know, the lifted tour was like, basically that record plus a couple songs and same with like every record digital ash and like wide awake were the most sort of striking because the tours were so close together and like you know at the time people really responded to um the i'm wide awake record so we went on tour for that record like all over the world and it was like you know felt like we were you know fucking Beatles or something you know like everyone was so excited to see us and then like a couple months later we're on tour and we're like just basically playing the Digital Ash songs and I think people were like trying to get their money back and stuff and we're like but the thing is was we weren't really trying to be like antagonistic it was just that it was such it took such different amounts of musicians and different instruments and a different presentation that it was really it would have been really difficult to like do all that at once, or at least it felt like that at the time. But, um, you know, lately, even with the last record, it's like, uh, we did play, you know, I would say maybe a third of the set were was from the, like down in the weeds record. But I guess just like, I guess just realizing it's like, Hey, you know, we don't get out there as much as we used to and people, you know, people spend their money. They want to come see a show. So we try, I don't know. I guess what I'm saying is we try to like mix up the set list more, but it it does have to do with like what instruments we have available or what the the personnel is and kind of what's going to make the most sense with the, cause every band, the band on, every tour the band's different so it's kind of like starting from from scratch when it comes to that but i think 
over the years, we've gotten better at balancing like old songs, hopefully stuff that people are excited to hear. And then also playing the new music as well as sort of more, I guess, random B-side type songs that, that, that we want to play just because it's fun to, to kind of read back. There's so many songs that it's, it's cool to, you know, I mean, I think like on this coming tour where we're coming to see y'all, it's like, I think it'll be some stuff from the new record, but a lot of stuff from the EPs, like the new versions from the EPs and, you know, just kind of some old, you know, whatever the old, the old standbys, hopefully. So try to make it, we're going to try and make it fun. I'm sure it's going to be, um, (laughs) quite a lot of fun regardless of, of what what tracks we do end up hearing um i know and and this might just be a personal observation i think over the years because wide awake was such a big record digital ash at that time might not have got it, its moment in the sun but i think over the years it has become more beloved and more um of a cult classic almost i know i spoke to christian about uh, digital ash um when he was in australia this year and so um yeah, just justice for digital ash in my mind. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I think that I I think that that is something that I like, or I find that records that really stay with me for a lot of years. Um, the first time I hear them, I, I might not really, it might not you know blow me over, you know. Like, it's like, you know, I think there's something to be said for, like, records that you have to spend time with that, like, kind of unfold over time. And just as a fan of, you know, of, you know, music, other people's music, I actually appreciate that quality. Because sometimes you'll hear a record that just knocks your socks off right away. But then Mm -hmm. it's kind of like, like, after a couple months of listening to it, you're like, Ah, I don't really need to, I don't really need to revisit that one for a while. Like it's fun, but it's not, you know what I mean? And then there's the ones that kind of like, you got to peel back the layers and Mm -hmm. they get, you know, a little better with like repeated listens. So I take that as a compliment, I guess is what I'm saying. It's people don't have to (laughs) love, people don't have to love it right out, right out the gates, you know? Yeah. Well, both, both records do stand up over time. Um, Connor, I didn't realize that we are running out of time. So I very quickly want to ask, is there um, anything at the moment that you're currently listening to uh, that you want to kind of give a shout out to? Um, well, like I said, I've been like weirdly getting more into like instrumental music. Um, uh, have you heard of that band, this band Bell Witch? They're like, um, I don't know how to describe them. They're like, it's almost it's kind of metal ish, but like it's it's almost like very like classical, but not in the sense of like there's strings and things. It's it's just like they have a, a record called Mirror Reaper. It's like um like the whole thing is one track, but it's like an hour and a half. But if you like sit there and listen to it, it's just like it's really like beautiful and like you kind of have to, you gotta be like, you know, you gotta be ready just to like be there. You know, it's like, there's a, I guess like a almost 
trance kind of quality to it where you once you get in the zone, like I listened to my friend and I drove from California back to Oman, which is a long drive. And uh, yeah, we listened to it a couple of times on these long drives, like through Utah and like Colorado. And um, I don't know, that's one that uh, jumps out to me. There's also like this uh, this guy, Akira Kasamura, who's like a Japanese, Japanese uh, he's a piano composer. Uh, it's all instrumental. Um, you know, I guess in the, you know, I mean, this is like super shorthand, but like in the vein of like an Eric Satie or something like that, mm-hmm. like, um, just really beautiful. Like a lot of like sus- suspended chords and, um, uh, I forget the name of the album that I have. I got it on vinyl. I like it a lot. I think it's, I want to say it's called like Afterglow or something like that, but, um, and like in that, that same vein, there's like an old old American piano player um, named uh, Mary Lou Williams. Who same thing. It's all instrumental piano, but um, I don't know. I just I find myself really enjoying. It's it's not that I don't still love like rock bands and songwriters, but. I, I I find um, that those kinds of music like puts me in a just a different more like I don't know like I guess reflective and like peaceful place because it's like I'm not I'm not analyzing songs I'm not thinking about like I'm not thinking about anything that has anything to do with like stuff that I make like I could never make any of that music <laughs> at all. And that's kind of fun because it's like if I listen to stuff that's like more like adjacent to the music that I make, it's a little more like, you know, whatever. Like, what's this person doing? And that, yeah. and that sounds like that. And that sounds like that. And it's, I don't know. It's like, it's not, um, I guess, I, I don't know. I'm sick. Of, I don't, I don't have any interest in the competition or the like who's doing what in like, sort of whatever indie rock circles and stuff it's mm-hmm. like i'm sure there's great stuff happening but i just I, it doesn't really hold my interest the way it maybe used to you know yeah 100 percent. i feel like as we get older it's that thing of what um what's mentally stimulates you in it if you're only listening to indie rock for 20 years it's kind of you're treading the same ground so it's, it's expanding your your palette almost yeah for real yeah. <laughs> um connor thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today yeah um thank you so much i uh, look forward to seeing you down down there
Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.